What are you doing? Yes, you. What are you doing? I contemplated what my next episode might be about. And I did as I was instructed by all the podcast experts, creating my content calendar and following all the rules. All the rules in order to be successful. But I had to stop and ask myself, that question. What are you doing? I was invited recently by my mother to be on a prayer call that she was leading. And one thing I've always enjoyed growing up is listening to my mom bring forth a word. And so as I was listening to her talking about the need for agonizing prayer, it started to dawn on me that you can't have agonizing prayer if you don't care. And she talked about Elijah and how Elijah and many of the men and women of God in the Bible, they had a way with God, not because they had titles, not because they had degrees, not because... They were at the top of their Fortune 500 company, not because they were life coaches or gurus, not because they had many years in age and had lived on the earth a long time. Their mark came because they cared. Now, I'm not talking about caring in our modern day terminology or how we would come to define it. I'm talking about they cared enough about God's word. They cared enough about their faith. They cared enough about obedience. They cared enough. They had that passion. No one can conjure up that passion for you. This passion cannot be manufactured. It cannot be preached into you. It cannot be guilt-tripped into you. It cannot come just because you've lost something We have this modern day saying, if you know, you know. I say, if you care, then you care. When you care and you have a passion, it drives you from within. How many of us truly care? How many of us truly care about the things of God? I see all too often, and I have fallen into this vicious trap of purpose chasing It even becomes, it has become a coined phrase, even in the church. God made you for a purpose. Find your purpose. And we so boldly and so haughtily go about our days trying to manufacture the purpose that we're claiming God gave us. No, God didn't give you that purpose. That's your dreams, your desires, your goals, your intentions, and you're trying to throw God on it. We have to be real if we want to be free. We have to be daring to be truthful if we want to be free. And so as I was on this call with my mom, I began to really think about myself. As I was thinking about the world around me, as I was thinking about my generation in particular, it hit me 
that we don't care. We don't truly care about the things of God. We're constantly trying to make the things of God make sense in our minds and, you know, make it make sense. And we want it to fit into our constructs. We want to find our benefit. We want to fit it on our agenda. And then I had another thought as my mom was quoting the scripture that says where where God was telling us, he was telling his people what the remedy was for their healing and for them to come out of the path of his wrath. He said, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, and I'm paraphrasing it, but if they would humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. How many psychologists and psychotherapists and psychiatrists and medical doctors and coaches and mentors and and self-proclaimed gurus and experts and influencers do we see today leading people to what they claim to be truth and freedom using their man-made tactics. We get so pinned and wrapped up in labels and trying to define things and making categories and spaces for things. And we overcomplicate it because we're trying to fill that role of God. We're trying to find answers and solutions to life's complexities. And God has simply told us what is needed in order for him to heal our land. There's a new page that I've been listening to following on YouTube. The gentleman who is a Bible teacher, he's no longer living. But there are some things I'm still getting acclimated and really listening and fine-tuning through his message. But he said some things concerning our sin nature that really had me thinking. And, And a lot of what his message was, was the fact that we have free will. So while we are sinful, we are not incapable of doing what is right. And I had to really ponder that because sometimes the message of the sin nature is preached in such a manner that would have you feel totally helpless that, you know what, I got to wait for God to change me. So I'm going to keep on going on in my sin I'm going to keep on sitting in this pit and I will confess and repent and God will forgive me and I can just keep on keeping on and it does not work that way. God has given us free will. He has told us throughout scripture in so many different ways and in so many different places and over the course of so many different periods in time, turn from your wicked ways. If we were incapable of doing such a thing, why would we have that instruction? to turn from our iniquities, to turn from our evil ways. Repent isn't just confessing and and acknowledging your error, your sin, your iniquity, but it's hating it enough to disengage from it. It's recognizing that God has given you the ability and the power to get up and walk. Jesus told the man who was lame, he said, get up. Rise up 
and walk. Some of us, all of us, not some of us, all of us need to rise up and walk. Walk away from your sin. Walk away from your wrongful ways. Walk away from those things that are separating you from God's grace and his mercy. Walk away from those things that have caused a divide between you and the creator. I then went on to think as I was on this call, how we view God as an interruption. We want God to fulfill our ideals, to fulfill our plans, to answer our prayers. But how many of us are willing to sacrifice our lives, to put aside our titles, to put aside our piety for the sake of being his chosen people? Who is there around you in your circles that you need to be interceding for and crying out for? What circumstances around you are needing your tears, are needing your time? Or are you too busy? Do you have too many hashtag goals? Are you too much of a hashtag boss babe? We are living on borrowed time. And one day, we will have to stand before God. How will we explain that we wasted our years away trying to climb the success ladder, trying to achieve and achieve and achieve and achieve? How do you explain that? As I'm pointing the finger at you all, three of them are pointing right back at me. I am just as guilty. There are so many things that I'm currently working on, literally like real time right now. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, I'm trying to launch an online store. Yes, faith-based for the purpose of the kingdom. I work on this podcast for the purpose of the kingdom. I'm homeschooling my children. I'm running a family business, amongst other things. And this is where it can get tricky for those of you who may be in ministry, for those of you who are, quote unquote, doing things for the kingdom. Have you gotten so busy being busy? What if God literally told you to pack up and do something completely different? How badly would your heart ache? How much of your oxygen would you lose as you gasp? Lord, what did you say? Would you really be willing to lay it down? Going back to Elijah, Elijah was chosen by God. God uses simple, ordinary people who are willing to be interrupted. I'm reading a passage on beliefnet.com, and I will link this in the show notes. And it says, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Similar to many of the prophets of the Bible, Elijah didn't seek to be one of God's messengers. Instead, God chose him directly for the position. When he was called, Elijah didn't hesitate to take on his mission, even though it appeared his life would be threatened by the wicked king. Elijah set out at once for the capital city of Samaria to deliver the announcement to King Ahab. Then God sent Elijah into hiding as the drought dried up the streams and withered the crops of the nation. Elijah was chosen to confront the followers of Baal simply because he had a relationship with God. Listen, well, first of all, end quote, this is Hannah talking now. 
simply because he had a relationship with God. Oh, the the deception that we have to be credentialed, that we have to be prepared in in some man-made, man-defined way to be used by God. We literally get in the way. Ladies, I'm trying, I'm trying to, I'm trying to tell you. We get in the way. Our pride gets in the way. Our audacity gets in the way. Our busyness gets in the way. And I'm not, now I'm not just talking about, you know, filling up our to-do list busyness. I'm talking about our unrest. Our ignorance leads to our own unrest because we have it fixed in our minds that in order to be used by God, we have to be doing this and be doing that. And we got to have the podcast and we got to make the posts and we got to be, you know, we get so busy. We don't, we, we don't ever really stop and get on our faces to seek God's face. And I don't mean five minutes of devotion every day. I don't even mean two hours of devotion. I'm, I mean, would you be willing to lay aside everything for a year to ask God's permission for the things that you think you're supposed to be doing? And to seek his face on what it is that he really wants you to do. Many of us are so afraid to even confront others. I'm one of them. I'm guilty. But Elijah was chosen to confront the followers of Baal simply because he had a relationship with God. We're so used to leading and drafting and directing that we bring those attitudes into our walk with the Lord. And so that leaves no room for him to lead, for him to draft, for him to reveal. We don't come to it completely laid down in our minds and in our will. I'm going back to the quote now. In addition to confronting the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, he also performed many miracles, providing an endless supply of flour for a widow and raising a young boy from the dead. Elijah was given such power because he knew how to abide in the presence of Almighty God, that he was able to shut up the heavens from raining for years. He had that type of power. I'm still uh, going back to quoting here. Prayer was his key strategy, not a content calendar, not a course list, not a webinar. Elijah prayed to God vehemently, vehemently, His prayers were bold and he called on God to do the miraculous. His requests weren't small. He prayed for a drought in the land, prayed to raise the widow's son from the dead and called down a fire from heaven to consume the offering on Mount Carmel. Let's talk about that for a moment. He was up against a lot of false teachers and they wanted to basically have a battle of whose God was the realest and whose God was the most powerful. And these false prophets were so busy. They prayed, they cried, they wept, they chanted, they cut themselves, they danced. They did all these things to conjure up a response from their false God. And like their false God was supposed to, he did nothing. And then came in Elijah with power from the creator of the universe. And in just a word, God moved. And not only did he move, but he showed out. Elijah called down a fire from heaven to consume the offering on Mount Carmel. This is what the false prophets God could not do. And the Bible tells us, I'm quoting here, 
At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And this is in this uh, story can be found in 1 Kings chapter 18. Quoting again, we see through Elijah's life that prayer is truly powerful. His life reminds us that if we trust in God through prayer, it will make a significant impact. I want to I want to mention something with that as well. There is this false notion that if we just pray and pray and pray, God is going to Give us the desires of our heart. And yes, it says that in scripture, but it also says if you pray according to the will of the Father. So if you're praying outside of his will and you're not understanding, first of all, if you're not even praying to understand what his will is, and then you're praying outside of his will, he's not going to answer that. And then I've heard the question, well, what about non-believers who are experiencing earthly success at unbelievable rates and in, in, in unbelievable quantities. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, they that build it labor in vain. Their efforts are futile. And one day you will hear of them no more. They're literally doing all this in vain. It's also a reflection of God's grace and goodness because the word says that God allows it to rain on the just and the unjust for a particular period of time. I want to go back to beliefnet.com talking about Elijah. Here it says he suffered with depression. Oh, is that the common theme of our day where depression runs rampant, where depression is at an all-time high, especially in our millennial generation? I am quoting here. Depression is often triggered by life circumstances and can really pull you into the pit. There are numerous biblical references to depression. Scripture describes the struggles of people who suffered with depression even though they were faithful servants of God. These men did not suffer primarily because they were sinners. They suffered because they were human and were susceptible to severe pressures. Elijah grew depressed when he was rebuked while he was anticipating a moment of triumph. His lofty hopes were crushed. He became sick at heart. Up until this point, Elijah had been the epitome of spiritual courage. He now collapses runs away when Israel most needs his leadership, possibly missing the chance for national repentance and turns suicidal. He suffered from spiritual depression, a specific kind of depression that is related to commitment to God. Elijah's depression, along with many other biblical characters, alerts us to the fact that being committed to God does not necessarily exempt us from being depressed. I know that hits home with a lot of us who have walked through depression, who might currently still be living through depression. And for those of you who are so confused as to why you may be experiencing or why you may have experienced such depression, even though you are a child of God, I do plan on touching on depression in a future episode. So I won't go too far into that right now. Nonetheless, Elijah had a heart for prayer and not just ordinary prayer. He cared. He was passionate. It was vehement. At times it was violent. It was sincere. He wanted the hand of God. He wanted 
the will of God. He was willing to have his schedule interrupted. Moses was willing to have his schedule interrupted. Mary was willing to have her schedule interrupted when an angel appeared to her and said, listen, you have been chosen to bring forth the Messiah, the long awaited Messiah. She didn't say, well, wait a minute. I got to get married. I'm young. I'm going to be judged. This is, I'm going to be the odd man out. I'm going to be, this is cancel. This is cancel culture. Like this is cancel worthy. I'm going to be canceled by my family, by my community, by, by everything. These people, the disciples, as, as Jesus called them, they didn't say, okay, let me go back and tie up loose ends. They were willing to be interrupted. I believe as Jesus was calling one person, I, I don't think he ended up being a disciple, but his response was, well, wait, I need to go bury the dead. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead. Come with me. So my question to you, my dear listener, and to myself, my question to our hearts today is, what are you doing? And do you care? Do you really want the will of the Father? Do I really want the will of the Father? If that will looks nothing like what you had envisioned for your life, if that will gets you zero claps, if that will gets you cancel culture. The last thought that I want to leave you with today, I'm currently reading a book called Teaching from the Rest, and I, I think I might be getting that book title wrong. I don't have it in front of me, but nonetheless, it was a gift to me from my husband as I have officially embarked on homeschooling our children this year. It's not my first time being home with the kids. I've been actually home uh, for several years. I was running a nursery school and preschool. So my second born has been home with me all her life, but this is my first official time homeschooling my first born. And so he gifted me with a few resources. And one of, one of the resources is a book called, I believe it's called Teaching from the Rest or Teaching from His Rest. I will get the facts. It's one of those, I promise. And so one of the things that cut me as I was reading this was the author, she asked, whose well done are you working for? Are you working for the well done of yourself to say, wow, you know, I met all my goals, all the things I was hoping to accomplish. I'm just this wonderful teacher. My child is just thriving. There, I did it. We got through math today. We got through science. We touched on all the subjects. Or are you searching and seeking for the well done of the father as he uses you basically in this season? And so that was the question proposed to homeschooling parents. But I ask us this today. One day when this life is over, and I hate to break it to you, but one day this life will be over, whose well done are you working for? Until next time. That's it for today, but the journey continues. Visit She'sMark.com for more episodes, to make a donation, or to check out the Mark Life blog. If you found value in today's episode, please subscribe, tell a friend, and consider leaving a review. Remember, the word tells us that many are called, but few are chosen. As you go through this week, remember to walk as children of light.